0: How about we begin tonight by just doing some reading. Let's read from the Bible tonight and let's just go ahead and just try to knock out Revelation 9. We've got a couple of classes to, to deal with this chapter, so it's not going to hurt us just to read it. And as we read through this, I want to challenge you to try to read it from a first century perspective. Don't Uh, Try to separate your your Western thinking if you can and trying to make something of everything here and just read it. Just take your time, read it through with me and just see if you can try to figure out on your own right now. What is the point? What is the main point that the Holy Spirit is trying to make with this language he's using here? So just see if you can challenge yourself to, to just follow through and just follow the story and see if you can figure it out. Revelation nine and verse one. Then the fifth angel sounded and I saw a star from heaven which had fallen to the earth and the key of the bottomless pit was given to him. He opened the bottomless pit and smoke went out of the out of, went up out of the pit like the smoke of a great furnace and the smoke and the air were darkened by the smoke of the pit. Then out of the smoke came locusts upon the earth and power was given them. As the scorpions of the earth have power, they were told not to hurt the grass, the grass of the earth, nor any green thing, nor any tree, but only the men who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. And they were not permitted to kill anyone, but to torment for five months. And their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings a man. And in those days, men will seek death and will not find it. They will long to die and death flees from them. The appearance of the locusts were like horses prepared for battle, and on their heads appeared to be crowns like gold, and their faces were like the faces of men. They had hair like the hair of women, and their teeth were like the teeth of lions. They had breastplates like breastplates of iron, and the sound of their wings was like the sound of chariots, of many horses rushing to battle. They have tails like scorpions and stings, and in their tails is the power to hurt men for five months. They have as king over them the angel of the abyss. His name is in Hebrew, Abdon, Abaddon. In the Greek, he has the name Ap- Apollonon. The first woes pass. Behold, two woes are still coming after these things. Then the sixth angel sounded, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar which is before God. One saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, release the four angels who were bound at the great river Euphrates. And the four angels who had been prepared for the hour and day and month and year were released so that they would kill a third of mankind. The number of the armies of the horsemen was 200 million. I heard the number of them. And this is how I saw in the vision the horses and those who sat on them, the riders and breastplates, the color of fire, and of heneseth, and of brimstone. And the heads of the horse are like the heads of lions, and out of the mouths proceed fire, and smoke, and brimstone. A third of mankind was killed by these plagues, by the fire, and the smoke, and the brimstone, which proceeded out of their mouths. For the power of the horses is in their mouths, and in their tails, for their tails are like serpents, and have heads, and with them they do harm. The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues and not repent of the works of their hands. So as not to worship demons and the idols, idols of gold and of silver and of brass and of stone and of wood, which can neither see nor hear nor walk. And they did not repent of their murders, nor of their sorceries, nor of their immorality, nor of their thefts. OK, so that's a lot going on there. And uh before we kind of just take some time to talk about that stuff, let's just continue in, continue to emphasize where we are in this story so we don't get lost in the forest here. OK, so and this is when these guideposts really come back to help us. This is why I continue to stress those so much, because these guideposts we saw in Chapter one are really important when you get to a chapter like this to remember those guideposts. This is a revelation of Jesus Christ. Don't get so lost trying to figure out what everything means that you don't uh, remember or fail to remember that this book is ultimately a revelation of Jesus. This book is about Jesus. It's about him being a victorious king over those who are trying to destroy his kingdom. Remember, this is a prophetic book. This is a book talking about things that's going to happen in the future from the perspective mainly of the first century Christians, okay? So when we say a book of prophecy, we're not so much talking about things that's going to happen in our future as is we're talking about things that's going to happen in the future from the perspective of the original audience. So so please remember that. Book of Signs and Symbols. Do you see that here in chapter 9? That's all signs and symbols, isn't it? Uh, You got scorpions mentioned. You got fire and brimstone. You got tails like scorpions. You got locusts. You got all kinds of word pictures uh, all throughout this chapter. If there's not a chapter in this book that that shows you that more clear is this chapter right here. This is signs and symbols. This book is written for a specific audience. The original audience was who? Yes, the first century Christians, particularly the ones in Asia. That's right. The seven churches of Asia, Asia Minor. Uh, The background here, don't forget, this is a book written to persecuted Christians, Christians who were persecuted at the highest level, even to the point of death. And also, especially, please don't forget, don't forget the last one. These things, these prophecies and, and God says it over and over again for a reason. They're going to shortly come to pass. Shortly come to, comes to, come to pass doesn't mean 2,000 years. That's not shortly come to pass. These things are going to shortly come to pass from the perspective of these early Christians. It had to mean something to them first before it means something to us today. So, so it's important to, to remember that. So remember the guidepost. Now, this is what we are so far in the book, For chapters one through three, messages to the, to the churches. We covered that. We saw the visions of the Father and the Lamb in chapters four and five. Chapter six, this, the basic story of Revelation is told with the breaking of the first six seals. We studied that. Chapter seven was the fate of God's people being disclosed. That's commonly called the chapter that includes an interlude. Before we break the seventh seal, We need to know, or God wants to tell his people what's going to happen to them while this judgment is being executed. He's going to seal them. He's going to protect them in some way on the earth. But ultimately, when it's all said and done, he's going to bring them into heaven. Then we got to chapters 8 and 9, which we're at right now. We studied chapter 8 last time, and this is the, the six trumpets, the first six trumpets. And these are warning judgments. These are God's warnings trying to get the wicked to repent, and then in chapter 10, which we're going to see soon, uh, no more warnings, no more warnings from God. judgment. Judgment is going to come. Now, remember, three series of seven, right? I've asked you to keep, just keep trying to memorize this. Seven seals, seven trumpets, seven bowls of wrath. We're right here with the seven trumpets. So we're rep- These represent God's warning. Remember the pattern. Now hopefully, you've noticed the pattern. We saw this pattern with the seven seals. We're seeing the pattern repeat itself with the seven trumpets. The first four are similar. We went through the first four of the trumpets on on Sunday. And we're gonna talk it in a little bit, just kind of remind ourselves of how those four things connected, those first four trumpets. These next two, trumpets five and six, which we're studying tonight, are different than the first four. They're unique in their own way. And then, Between the 6th and the 7th in the series of 7, there's always a break in the action. There's always an interlude of some kind. The seven in the series is always transitional. So the 7th seal opens up 7 trumpets. 7th trumpet opens up 7 bowls of wrath. Okay, verses 1 through 4, the silence in heaven. Okay, God's about to execute judgment. 7 angels are given 7 trumpets. The prayers of God's people go before Him. God hears the prayers. Now, this is where we covered on Sunday. And I want you to look at this again. With the first trumpet that sounded, you had hell and fire burn the earth's trees and grass. And it was always how much of it was destroyed? A third. That's right. So you got vegetation. A third of vegetation is destroyed. A third part of the sea becomes blood. A third part of the land waters, the rivers and the springs of water are used as instruments to bring the wicked to repentance. They're they're contaminated. They're poisoned, made bitter. And then with the fourth trumpet, a third part of the sun, moon and stars are are darkened. Now, let's talk a little bit. Let's talk a little bit about these trumpets here real quick, just to see if you, you can remember. Okay, what was the connection? With these right here, what do we say if we were to just summarize what's going on with all this language here? What kind of judgment do these things appear to symbolize? Warne. Warne, uh, what, I'm sorry. Creation. creation right. And, and explain that further, Doug. When you say creation, you're talking about God doing Yes, God is bringing judgment on his creation. And we even said it this way to go with what Doug is saying. We could even call these natural calamities, right? We have God bringing about natural disasters, natural calamities. And all of this is designed, hopefully, to wake these people up, to try to use suffering on the earth through natural calamities, to get these people to turn to God, to, them, to get them to repent, because God still loves them, too. And he's going to give them a chance. So that's right. We, so we saw that with the first one, right? The first four are connected. They symbolize natural calamities, I believe. Now, let's talk about the one third again. Why is only one third of everything being destroyed? Yes, these are partial judgments. This is not full stuff yet. Only one third. I'm going to just take a third, leave the rest. Giving you time. Like like Sister Lisa said, that's exactly right. So we're doing great. Okay, the sounding of the next two trumpets are going to be even more severe, though. See, these were bad. But but remember, remember how verse 13 of chapter eight. Remember how chapter eight concluded. Verse 13 says, and I looked and I heard an eagle flying in mid heaven, saying with a loud voice, whoa, 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 three woes there. To those who dwell on the earth, notice this is judgment on the earth. This is the judgment taking place on the earth because the remaining blast of the trumpet of the three angels who are about, about to sound. The idea there is if you, if you haven't repented yet, which they had not, it's going to get worse. It's not going to get any better. If you thought these first four trumpets were bad, these first four judgments were bad, you hadn't seen anything yet. God is about to unleash judgments that are even more severe. That, that's the idea there. OK, now, before we jump into breaking down uh, the verses, some of the verses in chapter nine, let's just take a breath. I just want to make sure is there are any comments, questions from anybody from what we've seen so far with the first four trumpets. I want to make sure we're all good there. And I want to make sure I don't don't overlook someone, too, because usually I have a couple of people say, Sean, I have my hand up. You didn't see me. So I I don't want to miss anybody. If y'all see somebody I'm not calling on, point them out to me. Are we good so far? Yes, Lance. Go ahead, sir.
1: This this almost seems like God, Satan, and Job, where Satan asked for permission to torment Job, and for the first several torments was not allowed to touch the body of job but then it escalated and god permitted him to touch job's body it seems very similar to me here because the first four don't seem to deal with touching the body of men just their surroundings their creation like we talked about but these next two we're going to see
0: me more person yes the-, the
1: body the body of man is going to actually
0: No, that's a good point, Lance. There there is some similarities there. Lance was saying between uh, what was going on with Job and what you see here. The one thing I will say, and and Lance, I think you agree with this. The thing about Job was it seemed like the judgments was coming or the punishment was coming from Satan. Right. The The test. Satan. God just allowed him to do it. Right. But Satan's the one who brought it on him. It reminds me of what Paul said about his thorn in the flesh. Paul called his thorn, whatever that was, he said it was a messenger of Satan. So that came from Satan. Sometimes suffering comes directly from Satan. That's what the Bible says. But in this case, this judgment is coming from God. God is doing this. He is bringing this out. He's not just allowing stuff to happen. He is doing it himself because He's hoping it will do good. He's trying to use suffering to accomplish something good, which is bring these people to repentance. But it won't. It doesn't. Also, Jesus mentions to Peter that Satan had requested. Yes. Him like wheat. That's Luke Luke twenty two. Yes. Okay. So let's go to this next part here. The next chapter, the fifth trumpet, verses one through twelve. We're gonna. You can break this up in two parts. of This chapter verses 1 through 12, and then verses 13 through the end, which is, this is trumpets 5 and 6. Then you've got an interlude in chapter 10. Then you've got the blowing of the seventh trumpet, which will open up the seven bowls of wrath. So let's just kind of go through this and, and, and be mindful of what Lance just He brought up Satan here. Um, and, and maybe that's something to be mindful of as we even look at this. Let's kind of go through this a little slow. Verse number 1. Somebody just just, just shoot, shoot one thing out to me here. What's the first thing that happens that you notice in verse 1 when the fifth trumpet sounds? What's the first thing you see? Okay, there's a star that falls from heaven. <laughs> um, a star falls from heaven. Has anyone ever done any research on your own before as to what some commentators think that star represents? Yes. Uh, The one I saw the most is what was what Ryan said about a lot of folks say uh, the star represents Satan. Does the text specifically say that? No. Could it be? Oh, of course it could be, Uh, especially when you think about what's going to happen when this star does come from heaven. But, But this is maybe that comes, Ryan, from a misconception that a lot of people have about the origin of Satan. You know, you hear a lot of people say Satan was kicked out of heaven. Uh, He's Lucifer, which is which is wrong when you study the context of that passage in Isaiah. The Lucifer of Isaiah, and only the Old King James uses that word Lucifer. By the way, Um, the rest of them are more clear, letting you know it's the King of Babylon. It's really Nebuchadnezzar, but that's that's another story. So that's what I've heard, Ryan. I've heard what you've heard there. Y'all know me. The text don't say specifically. I have a hard time. I have a hard time just being uh, certain of that, but that, I thought that was interesting. Yes, ma'am, Sister Margie.: My question is it says I saw a star falling, which
1: leads me
0: to think that it had already fell: And it wasn't falling: or But it's something that already happened. It, yeah. Right? And that could, and that could very well be possible. Sister Margie was saying that the language makes it look like it had already happened. this, well, this star had already fallen. Well, <laughs> Margie, you're going to get me preaching a sermon here. I did a sermon. I, when you, Margie, I, see how people forget my sermons? I told y'all. Margie forgot. Uh, and this was a long time ago, Margie. I did a sermon a long time ago in the Book of Life. Well, I'm old. No, I don't say that. I didn't say that, Margie. Uh, I did a sermon about two years ago called the Book of Life. I don't know if y'all remember that. It's called the Book of Life. In that sermon, I dealt with that text. And in the context there, Margie, it appears that Jesus is not talking about the origin of Satan, but contextually, he's talking about what he saw happen while the limited commission was being performed. When those 70 disciples went out preaching the word, he says, While you were gone, I saw Satan falling like lightning. The idea there, at least in my understanding, is he's saying that while you were gone, Satan was suffering some blows, he was being defeated. Because the gospel was being preached. So my understanding there, Margie, is in the context. He's not talking about the origin of Satan, but more he's talking about how Satan always suffers when when God's word is being preached. And and that was true of the limited commission. It's true today when we go out and preach the gospel today. As far as the origin of Satan goes, the the fact of the matter is the Bible doesn't tell us from my understanding. Bible don't tell us where Satan comes from. Bible doesn't deal with that. Bible doesn't answer that, that question for us. All the Bible tells us is, is he's real, he's a, he's a spiritual, powerful being, and he's after us and he stands completely contrary to the will of God. Um, and I think there are some things we can conclude from that. We can conclude he's not deity, that he had probably to be created at some point, but the Bible just doesn't, doesn't answer that question for us. Um, when we are introduced to him, he's already doing his work, deceiving men. Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. Uh, Brother Don, yes, sir, and then we'll move on.
1: This, this uh, whole area here has some, as, as you say, symbology in it. It doesn't stand out. The word bottomless that's translated in here, I, again, it's, a, it's an English translation of a Greek word, which is alpha in front of depth. Mm-hmm. You have a unit of measure of depth. The alpha in front says not measurable. Right. It is a just like the stars of heaven are you have no great innumerable. Heaven. So here you have the opposite of heaven, right. a infinitely great bottom. Yes. That
0: we see later on is used for a specific purpose. No, good point, Don. I appreciate that, sir. And, and let's deal with that a little bit more. So, and I'm sorry to get on a tangent there with the, the star. I just, I thought that was interesting. Um, the star falls from heaven. So we'll just leave open as to what that means exactly. Let's just focus more on what's about to happen. OK. Star falls from heaven. The star has a key, according to verse one, to a what? Like Don brought up a bottomless pit, a bottomless pit, an abyss. Does what translation use the word abyss there? What translation uses that? New King James uses abyss. Okay. Does English standard say bottomless there? Also, does anybody have English standard? So everybody's either using New King James or New American Standard. Bottomless. Okay. So same idea. Bottomless abyss. Okay. So the star has the key to the bottomless pit. Now, what happens when the key is given to the star for the bottomless pit? The star does what? it's open. The bottomless pit is open. And what comes out of the bottomless pit? There are a few things that come out. What's the first thing you see? There's smoke. Smoke like a like a yeah, great furnace. So a lot of smoke comes up out of the pit. Again, signs and symbols. This is symbolic language here. So you got smoke coming up out of the pit. And what happens to the sun and the even the air from due to the smoke? Wow. So even the sun is darkened. The sun is darkened from the smoke and the air, even the air is darkened. Now, in the Bible, even in Revelation, darkness, typically when darkness is alluded to in the scripture, it typically represents what? Evil, wickedness, moral decay, moral corruption. And and if you want my thinking on it, I think that's exactly what this is standing for here. I think this this star, when it opens up this pit and you see darkness everywhere, even covering the sun, the air. I think this is representing total wickedness, moral decay. And the fact of the matter is, you know, many scholars say that was one of the key things, especially biblical scholars. That was one of the key things that led to the demise of Rome. Was the moral corruption, the moral decay how corrupt the empire became morally as each year went by. In fact, when we get to the harlot of the book, the harlot represents just that, the moral corruption, how sinful the the empire was. So I think we see that. And do you kind of feel like, you know, in a sense, we're living in a time where the sun and the air is being darkened by the smoke? (laughs) You know, I mean, it seems that way, right? Where everything's dark. And men are calling good evil and evil good. That's, that's what's going on here. So you have the sun and the air being darkened by the smoke. And then what comes up out of the earth? Locusts. Yeah, locusts. <laughs> <Yes. laughs> locusts. John's favorite food comes up uh, out of the earth. John the Baptist's food. The locusts come out of the earth. Let's talk about these locusts a little bit. What kind of power was given to the locusts? According to the text, there was some power given to these locusts. They had the power to bring what? Torment. Torment. And we could even say a lot of pain. You know how you know why I say that? Because notice the text says when you go back and look at it, let me get to the right spot here. It says in verse number uh, three. The smoke came. The locusts came upon the earth, and power was given to them, as the what? Scorpions. Anybody ever? I shouldn't. I know. I, I know. I'm gonna get a good answer from this one. Living in Arizona, you been. You, you ever been hit by a scorpion before? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I remember the first time we got one in our house. Oh, we were doing. We were doing great. We were doing great. Been here about a year or so. And next thing I know, I hear my wife scream. And she's jumped on the kitchen counter. She's jumped, literally jumped on the counter. And I go in there, it was a scorpion. Uh, And what happened was, the reason she jumped on the counter is because she was walking and then she felt someone on her foot. Looked down, scorpion. And he was a a big fellow, at least in our minds. Uh, And then guess what I had to do, guess what the husband has to do after we find one scorpion in the house? You got to call somebody and spend a bunch of money. That's how that works. Uh, so, but, but you, you, know about, you know about those, don't you? You know they sting. And the sting can hurt. And that's what the locusts have. They have the power to bring the pain. And that's what the scorpion represents. The scorpion represents pain, stinging. These locusts are going to sting like a scorpion. They're going to bring pain upon men as they come out of the abyss. Now, are locusts mentioned anywhere else in the Bible? (laughs) Lancers, because they're mentioned all over the place. I did a word study on that today in my Bible program, and I just typed in the word locust, and I was kind of shocked. I had not realized just how often it's mentioned in the Old Testament. It's it's at least a dozen times. So let's just go through a a few. I got two. I got three I wrote down. I could have wrote down more, but can you remember one, give me one example when locusts are mentioned in the Bible and why are they mentioned? Yes, the, the locusts were plague number eight. Remember when God was bringing the plagues on the Egyptians? The eighth plague, the eighth one, before darkness and before the death of the firstborn was the locust. The locusts went through Egypt and they devoured everything. So that's that's one. Is anybody got another one you can remember where locusts are mentioned and why? Brother Dunn. The life cycle of
1: locusts is described in Amos or pardon me, Joel, as their destructive power and how they're going to create famine and remove the food
0: supply. That's Joel 1 and Joel 2. I wrote that down. The locusts are used there. God uses locusts, or he brings up locusts to talk about how he was going to punish Israel. Uh, he talks about locusts invading Israel. So we have locusts being used in the book of Exodus to talk about God punishing the Egyptians, but he even uses them later to punish Israel, the people who were delivered from the Egyptians. There's also an example in Nahum. Nahum, chapter 3, verse 15, and Brother Don brought up the book of Nahum on Sunday. And Nahum, it was a prophet who preached against the Assyrians. Remember, remember, Jonah went to the Assyrians and he told them to repent and they repented and God spared them judgment for a time. Well, Nahum preaches to them also. And his message was God is going to bring you down. God is going to punish you. And in his writings, he uses locusts or the consuming of locusts, not literally, but figuratively to describe God's judgment on the Assyrians. So whenever locusts are mentioned in the Bible, It's bad unless it's John eating them. (laughs) That's about it. Uh, Yeah, that's bad too. Yeah, Uh, brother Gary. Yes, sir. That's interesting. Though that here the the locusts were told not to do what they were do. That's exactly right. Brother Gary was saying it's interesting how here and if I can say it this way, Gary, because I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of piggyback off of you. We find the locusts kind of operate in a different way here. How they're described in their work here. So they're referred to all throughout the Bible. They're part of God's judgment here. They're part of God's judgment here. So the questions we need to ask and answer is what exactly are they doing? They're bringing pain, but who are they bringing pain to? How severe is the pain? And what exactly do they symbolize? What exactly do these locusts symbolize? Are they to be taken literal? Now, by now, you should know what my answer to that is going to be. No, this, this is this is not this is not literal. These are not literal locusts like with the Egyptians, like with Israel. This is not literal here. So let's go back through th- verses three through 12. Verses three through 12. The locusts come upon the earth. They come out of the abyss and they're going to hurt things. But they can't just hurt anything. They can't just damage anything. What can't they damage? They can't damage the vegetation. They're limited in what they can harm. They can only harm what? That takes you back to what part of revelation? That's chapter seven. Remember chapter seven? God seals His people. This comes, Understand that comes back to help us now. God's marking His people here. He's marked His people. And these locusts, whatever they represent, they're not going to hurt God's people. They will only hurt those who are not sealed, those who are not God's people. Reminds you of the Egyptians and the Israelites again. Remember when the destroyer came through? When God's people put the lamb's blood on the doorpost, what did the destroyer, what did the destroyer do? He passed over them. God all marks his people. He always marks his people. We saw that in the Old Testament. We see it here. These locusts won't hurt them. And you know what else they're not able to do? They're not able to kill anybody. Do you notice that? They can't kill anyone. Yes, ma'am, Sister Nicole. Oh, you standing up for her. Good job, Nicole. I was going to say, Nicole, by the same something for the first time in class. Never mind. Now go ahead, Lisa. <laughs> Sir, total consumption, they swarm, they leave nothing behind, (laughs) that's a good point, absolutely. Brother James, yes, sir? Yes. And how, and how far they can consume something. Uh, that's a good point that I didn't know that, James, about how far they can travel in a short amount of time. And, and maybe that is why locust is being used here for the imagery, because this is going to be a, a lot of territory here.: Yeah, oh, very, that's, oh, that's very interesting. So these locusts, like y'all are saying, are doing a lot of damage, but they're not killing anybody. That's not yet. That's not yet. I want to emphasize that. They are only allowed to torment. Do you see that? They torment the wicked for how long? Which I think we can say it just represents a limited amount of time. Remember the number 10 in Revelation usually represents what? Total. Completeness. Half of 10 Is five. So this is limited. I think that's what that represents there. This is a this is a limited judgment. Remember, the full judgment of God is yet to come. That's the seven bowls of wrath. These are partial judgments. This judgment is so bad that men would long to what? They want to die. It's that bad. The suffering is that bad. But they're not going to be able to get out of it that easy. They're not going to die. They're going to be tormented. That's their punishment from this plague. Now, let's talk about the appearance of the locusts real quick. They have they appear like horses prepared for battle. So they're victorious. They have crowns of gold. Again, a sign of victory. They have faces like what? Faces of men. They have human qualities. Their hair is what? Beautiful. Beautiful hair like a woman, teeth like lions, king of the jungle, jungle breastplates of iron, wings that sound like chariots rushing into battle. Tails that sting like what? Scorpions. And they have a king over them or a leader named. Did anybody look up the meaning of the name? The he, the Hebrew and Greek. There, we're not going to go through that, but there's. Let's just get to the meaning of the name. Destroyer. Destroyer. So if you were as you look at that, what is your big impression of these locusts? The main impression you have of them. Invasion. What else? Pain. Would you say they're strong, mighty? They're going to do what God wants them to do. Right. All right. Before we close, let me and I'll go back through this some more on Sunday. This is what I think this represents, and Don might blast me on this, y'all might just blast me on this. The text doesn't specifically say, but I'm going to tell you a couple of thoughts out there, because this is probably the hardest of the trumpets to figure out. Some suggest that this trumpet can represent one of two things, a plague of some sorts, a plague that had come upon the empire and caused a lot of people to suffer, disease, and then others say, and this is what I lean more towards, just for me, that this just represents the internal and moral corruption of the empire. The pain and the suffering that comes to the people because of sin. This is something internal here. This is not external. The external will come with the next one. I think so. These are just and maybe you maybe you have some other thoughts, but some say this could represent a plague, a disease. Others say it may just represent the the moral depravity of the empire and the results of sin. Because let me ask you something. Can sin living a life of sin bring about pain? Can it bring agony? Can it bring, you know, a deep depression and a feeling of emptiness and even a longing to die? Because when you don't live by the wisdom of God, that's it it, it, never, it, it never leads to true happiness, does it? It never does. Now, on Sunday, I don't have time tonight, but I'll read this Sunday, okay, Lord willing. We'll go home tonight and read Romans 1. Read one, Romans 1, 18 through 32. I'll read it Sunday starting out. But there Paul talks about Rome, because he's writing to the church at Rome and all the sins they were involved in. And the consequences of that. So that's just my thought on that. Some of y'all looking mean at me right now. I don't agree with that. Hey, text doesn't say specifically. This makes sense to me. Maybe you have something else. But, th- but that's what I'm just going to throw out there to you. Does anybody else maybe have a comment or something? Maybe another thought, real quick. Brother Don, yes, sir. The fit is
1: something that occurs on the earth, and all of this is coming from
0: internal. Yes. Uh, That's where I lean towards. I think what we have here is a process. We have God bringing about natural calamities. We have the moral corruption of the empire. With the next one, you're going to have something external and hurting the empire. So they're hurting from within and without. Brother Mitch. Right. there's always room for more, right. which kind of goes along with some of this right. uh, you know, the, the torment, the here. Yes. The things come out that, it's, it's never full, it's never full. And, and Mitch, to go with what you're saying you know, I, the main thing I want everybody to see here is there's something going on here that God is doing or allowing to happen to bring pain and this right here I believe was, was really Rome's own doing. When you live a life away from God, this is what you get. This is what you get ultimately. This is what a nation gets ultimately. Brother James, yes sir. Right, you're right. you just a tormented. Right, absolutely. Uh, Lance, then we need to close. Yes, sir. So, so we got
1: a woe here. The next woe doesn't come till chapter 11, and then we're going after that. Could you, could you help tie the woes together next class. Yes. They don't. The woes don't seem to track the trumpets. The woes seem to track something else, though.
0: So I'll look. I've never thought about that, but I'll, I'll try to look into that. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Very good. No good. Good thought. Let's stop right there. I've confused you enough for a night. Let's stop right there. Thank y'all very much.